Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Holly. Okay. I'm Holly, compulsive overeater. Hi, Holly. Hi, everyone. Do you want me to pass pictures or? Yeah? Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for having me tonight. It's really always an honor to lead or share or be at an OA meeting, and I'm really honored to be here tonight. It's been a long time since I've been in this room, um, and it's very cold, so anybody listening, we have coats on, okay? <laughs> it's unusually cold for Los Angeles. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I'm going to try to focus on more on what it's like now, because that's the, that's the exciting part, what it was like, you know. Um, I'm a garden variety compulsive overeater, and that's what I am. I um, have 20 plus years of abstinence, and I started back in program August of 2002, and my abstinence date is September 28, 2002. I started, that's the first day I called, I picked a sponsor in that little bit of time, and that's the first day I called the sponsor is that day, so I counted that as my first day of abstinence. My abstinence is three meals a day, no sugar. And there is, uh, even in the beginning, there was a list of things, foods, that I knew I had to put down. I just, these are the things I went for continuously. I was a quantity eater and a all-the-time eater. I would eat three meals, but it was all, it was filled in, in between. There was no in-between, okay? Just kept going Um, until I went to bed. So that's the kind of eater I was. And um, so the three meals part is exactly what I needed to do, was beginning and end of a meal, and then I let go of the the foods that, um, sugar, obviously, and uh, in the beginning, that list of foods that I knew was probably six or seven things were all fried. So (laughs) you you see the categories just falling into place there, but, and that's what I ate, you know? So... I'll go back just a little bit, a little short picture of how it was when I was growing up. Um, it's a long time ago because I'm, you know, I'm really old now, and uh, <laughs> and you know, it was a long time ago. I grew up back east near Buffalo in a small town, and um, I, you know, my childhood was such that my mother was mentally ill. And she, that kind of showed itself when I was about in first grade, let's say for the first time. And then it showed itself again very badly from maybe age, maybe fifth grade until I got to move out when I was 18. I, I had to live with her. Um, it was a different time. Just let, let's leave it at that. It was a different time. Um, I had to live with my mom. So that in itself caused a multitude of problems. Now, I found stuff to eat, okay? I was always a big person. I was always big. But I found, even with no money, I found stuff to eat. And um, I was always heavy all the way through up until I came here for the second time, okay? So it, it was never any different. I was never a healthy body weight. I didn't even know what that meant. 
So I, w- I grew up like that, and I, gr- I guess the point is that I grew up feeling so apart from. Uh, we also didn't have any money, obviously. I'm with my mother, who's mentally ill, and I just felt apart from all the time. I didn't have nice clothes. Uh, our house was, it, it, I don't know how this happened, but we had a pretty decent house. My, I guess my, when my dad left, he left the house to us, and so the house was okay in itself. It didn't have heat most of the time. So that was that was hard, and I still have a reaction to cold. Um, I'm okay right now, but I do have a reaction to cold. You know, it makes me, uh, it brings that back. It makes me a bit anxious. But um, <clears throat> so I keep my house at home now. I keep it a little toasty. Uh, <laughs> that's my gift to myself, right? That it's always, always at a good level. Um, so... That's the kind of, that's how I grew up. And it was, you know, I was, it was a small town. Um, and so I went to college. Again, I don't know how that, ha- how did that happen? And it happened. Okay, I got a scholarship, went to college for four years, which was the best thing. Then I came back to the small town. I worked with my dad. He worked at, at a, he owned a di- the diner in town. Okay, the, the diner in town with his, with his brothers. So I worked there for about, Oh, probably 12 years before I moved out here. Um, there was just nothing better to do. I graduated from college. I tried to get a job. I couldn't. Um, so I worked with him. I got to move out when I was 18, and um, I lived with them for a while. Then I got my own place. But always feeling apart from. So this was a small town. Um, the other thing that was happening was I'm, I'm well, at that time I was, gay, you know, I'm gay. So uh, there was nobody okay, in the small town that I could ever relate to. So again, that made me feel even more different and more, um, more different than anybody I knew. It was, that's how it was. So uh, now it's, I, you know, there was, there was not names for, I, I identify as queer non-binary. There was no name for that then. Just think back. Think way back. There was no name for that. I don't think people knew what to think of me, honestly. I wore a lot of plaid. I still do. <laughs> Not today, but I do. But, you know, that's, that's how it was. And I just, I, I had to get out of, I actually had to get out of there, is what happened. I got an inkling of a little bit of a thing. Uh, a friend of mine from high school invited me out for a vacation to California, and I took that opportunity. Within nine months, I had everything packed in my car, I, and I came out here, you know, knowing I could go, I can go back anytime, but I needed to get out of that place because I was dying, honestly. I was, I was 280 pounds. This is how I grew up, between 240 and 280. 280 pounds, let's say, and I, and I was dying there. So I got in the car and came out here, and it didn't really go well in the beginning, but I was able to stay out here. I got a job, completely different than I thought. Everything was different than I thought. And I got to start a new life out here. You know, it was not, I was not comfortable, but I kept going. And um, how I got into the room the first time was that I was, um, I got into a relationship with a hardcore drug addict, and that's, don't do that, okay? <laughs> but I, 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 that was the first person that paid any attention to me, 
And you see where my self-esteem was. It was nowhere. It was zero down there. So I got into this, this funky relationship, and what it did was immediately make me crazy. And I felt crazy in the head. I thought, I, didn't, I can't control this person. Like, why are they doing these things? So the night, here's the good part. I got into, I knew somebody that was an Al-Anon. I asked them about it, told them what was going on. I went to the nicest group of people. And it was over in Silver Lake. And I started to go to meetings over there. It was a big gay meeting. And those people just took me right in. And I started to hang with them. I, we went places. We did fellowship. And I start, finally started to talk. This is, I don't know, I was 35 or 36 at the time. I finally started to be able to talk to people. Um, and I started to open up just a little bit. And what happened was, in that group were people that were in Overeaters Anonymous, and I overheard that. I heard them, right, because we're hanging out together. So I asked them if I, you know, should I go there? And they're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And so I I started to go to to meetings, but, you know, I wasn't ready at that time. I was there for, I was in for about two or two and a half years at that time. It was, um, I think it was 96 and 97, yeah. And I was in for a little bit, you know, I, I got the three meals a day right away. I knew, what, I could see what I was doing. Um, the way I used to go around from work is that I, I had to drive around to different buildings. And every time in between, you know, I'm, I'm terrified of people, okay? Every time in between from stop A to stop B, I had to get food. I had to eat food. A bag of something, an order of something, I had to stop and get food um, before I could have the courage to go on to the next stop, talk to that next person, and go about my day. And I couldn't, it was like like the brakes came on, and I would have something, I would eat something, and I could move on, I could move through that. And trying to let go of that fear of people with no tools really didn't work. It just it just stayed with me for a long time. So I was in for t- about two and a half years. I didn't get a sponsor for any length of time. You know, I would say I was going to call somebody, didn't do that. <laughs> Why would I do that? I did, I did go to meetings, though. I got, went to some meetings um, very consistently, and I'm from the San Fernando Valley, so I was over in the Valley meetings, and when I was working in this area, I'd come to meetings over here, and got quite a nice pattern going, so I did get something. I got something, and but at that to- at that time, I got into a, a good relationship with a very nice person I met I met in program, and just in building that relationship with no basis in this program, guess what happened? I walked right back out, and I didn't even know it. I mean, my meetings reduced. It went from four to three, then to two then to one, then like every other week I'd come, <laughs> and then I just stopped. I mean, it was, it was not even a conscious thing. Um, I tried to keep that abstinence, which I, I didn't do a bad job of it, to, to be honest, because that was actually working for me. I, did, I felt better not eating all the time. I felt much better not eating sugar. It was actually making me sick. And so I, I kept on with that, and I was working my other program, and, and, you know, I'm in this relationship, and we're running a catering company out of the house. That's never a good idea for, <laughs> for a compulsive overeater. 
But, you know, we did that. I was overworking. That's a kind of another thing for me. I work too much. I'm a people pleaser. I was overworking. I was, we were doing this business. I was um, working full time. And it got to be August of 2002. We stopped that catering business because the, the bump that we had to get over, when you buy a house, there's a lot of expenses, obviously. We were doing that for a reason. But the bump we had to get over kind of evened out. And I, we, we, the minute I stopped overworking, everything kind of sank. Okay, I was, run, I was like running through life like this, but everything slowed down and I felt all of my feelings left as well. And this is how I felt when I came in in August of 2002. I felt so empty. I felt, uh, I felt really dead inside, like a flat line. Not many friends left. Um, I was with my partner. That, that part was okay. We had a nice house. I had a job. I had a car. And I felt awful. I, I couldn't stand being in myself anymore. I knew something had to change. And it kept on go back to OA kept coming into my mind, and work it, okay? I, I needed to work. I felt like I had so much stuff inside that I wanted to get out, and I heard, heard about the fourth step. Of course, I'm going to meetings. Heard about the fourth step, and I really had this inclination that, which of course was God, that if I came and I did the work, just, just get through that, okay? I told myself, just come and sit down and get through that, and then see what happens. I mean, you can go if you want to go, but um, and that's exactly what I did. I, I got the courage to just walk back into meetings, um, and I was over in the valley, and I walked back in. I sat all the way down in my seat, and I really started to listen, and, uh, and there was a couple of things that really impressed me. One is, I saw some people that were there the first time, they were still in, <laughs> you know. It, that was foreign to me. Um, and the steps were the same. Like, the, I heard the same steps being read. I heard the same people speaking about the same things, and I felt at home. All, I, all of a sudden, it went from I don't know what to hopeful. So I sat down. I listened for about a month, and I, and I asked someone to be my sponsor. She was somewhat... Uh, she was a 100-pounder, which impressed me, and she was on her way down in weight, and I heard her speak a couple times, and she's just working it, and, and I thought, and she was just a little bit less scary than everybody else seemed to be, so I asked her to be my sponsor, and that's my first day of abstinence. I was, I actually, once I came back, I, I, the food kind of organized itself too, but my first day of abstinence is the first day I called her. We started working the steps immediately. Like, I didn't even know what I was doing. But she gave me readings and writing out of the big book, and, and I did them. I did this. I did these things. I did what she asked me to. Same abstinence, three meals a day, no sugar, and all these, this group of foods was gone. Um, and I just kept going. And, you know, about a month in, I asked her to uh, help me with my food plan. You know, I was calling in my food. I was almost honest, too. I did pretty well. Um, you know little bit there, but um, I called him mostly what I was eating. I actually was doing that. And then I asked her to help me uh, with my food about a month in, because, you know, the fog was clearing <laughs> by that time. It took about a month, and the fog was clearing. I felt better. I was saying hi to people in meetings. I was feeling a little more comfortable. And we created this, it's almost the same food plan, um, 
almost what she was eating, actually. And uh, and I just kept going. And the reason, you know, I didn't really pay any attention to my weight. She had me weigh myself in the beginning. And a month in, I was supposed to weigh myself again. And I wasn't paying a bit of attention. I really, by the time I got back here, it I, I had no hope for losing any weight. No hope. That's not why I was here. I was here because I felt so awful. Um, but as we were going, you know, I was weighing myself once a month, and you know what? It was going down a little bit each month. So I, I would tell her I'd let it go, not paying a bit of attention to it, but it was going down. It did feel better. I was going to meetings with people. Um, we were kind of in a group. I don't know. This was, again, God. We got into this group that we were all working the steps at the same time. We hung out together, we went to fellowship, and it was really, really nice. It felt like I had so much hope, and I felt good about, I felt better and better and better about myself, and um, I got to, I got through a four-step with her, and then I changed sponsors into a different type of a sponsor, and, um, and I kept going, and I've, you know, I've always had a sponsor. There was a, I've changed quite a bit. There was, I probably had six or seven sponsors, and there was a little bit of time once that I didn't have one, but it was because I was getting the courage to to ask the sponsor I have now, and that was like 13 or 14 years ago, and I've been with the same sponsor since. Um, since I went through, I went through a breakup then too. I mean, life is happening in this whole time. Um, I went through a, a breakup of my relationship, and, it, you know, by working the program and by going to meetings and actually talking to people, um, I had so much support through that. That was really, really tough. Um, I had to go back to Al-Anon. It, that's how anxious I got during this thing. It was the right thing to do, definitely, to end this relationship, but it, it created so much anxiety. And then all of the stuff that comes after that, like, we had to sell the house, we had to split everything, and I had to find another house to live in or to buy and whatever, and um, it was a tough time. I got, I almost got fired at that time. My boss, uh, I worked for a family, and this was, I worked for actually, then I worked for the father of this family, and for some reason, I mean, I'm sure it was the way, all, all this chaos I was going through, but he gave me notice and I was astounded, but I, I had to work through those things. Had a car accident. I, I sold the house. I got another house. Um, through all that, I was able to abstain. I didn't lose my abstinence. Um, and I was surrounded with people that in the program that I picked and asked them to help me. And I'm talking even, even the time that I was going to talk to my partner and let that relationship go, I was on the phone with a very good old friend of mine, a member of this program, you know, just before that, and she gave me words to say, and she, you know, she just she helped me through this, and I, I, I think it's a real gift that we have here, that we are, we're able to talk to each other, and somebody, it, it, whatever I'm going through, somebody in this room or somebody in the rooms has gone through it already. And being very willing to help me do whatever I need to do. So in working the steps, you know, I've been through the steps multiple times. Um, and every time it's a little different. But working the steps uh, has, my life is so much different today. 
um, I wanted to read a little bit of, uh, a little page of something that's very, very special to me. It's called How to Handle Sobriety. Um, and it really describes how it is, and I'll, I'll open it in a minute. Um, but then to, to bring this forward now to my life today, um, I'll tell you what I do every day. And it's, it hasn't changed much because what I do works. You see, I'm going to stay abstinent every day. My life has changed a lot, but um, it all takes the same work. Like, I'll tell you when I, um, I've been working the last probably five years on issues, the work, my work situation started to get bad. The, the father of this company got sick. I was used to him. He was used to me. <laughs> and we developed a rhythm. And we, actually, we developed a good relationship um, by the end, you know, near the end. And then he got sick. So um, I have an issue with his son, which is the person that took over the company. I've always had this issue. We've never, it's like, it's like my hair stands on end, okay, when he calls. It, it just, we never got along. I never felt like I could even talk to this guy, but he took over the company. I had to do, I think I went through the steps twice over this. Every time something comes up that creates anxiety in me, makes me feel, um, makes me feel like something's not right, I work the steps through. If, if it doesn't reason itself out with my daily writing, I worked the steps again through it and with my sponsor and something else will, it'll, it'll resolve and something else will reveal itself, okay? So what happened was, um, in this probably the second time through, I'm, it's, I'm getting to be, I'm 60, I was 65 at that time and I thought, um, I quit. I actually quit the job. I, and it was, it was, there was a lot of work around this, but I, I quit the job. And I offered to this guy, I said, listen, I'm going to give you notice. I was working six days a week at this point, and it was crazy. I'm going to give you notice, and but I'm going to stay and train somebody and um, clean up all this stuff that I've never been able to get to in the past three or four years, okay? And then I'll go. Whenever you're done with me, I'll go. I'll go get something else. I'm, I'm kind of getting a couple side hustles going, and... And I, I, that was the solution at that time, and it was a good solution. None of that happened, by the way. It didn't end up happening. I, they didn't hire somebody else. I'm still working there, but I work. I work. <laughs> I know it's funny. I work three days a week now, and even to adjust to that was oh my gosh. I. It's like you know that adage that you, you hear when the, the car screeches to a halt and all the luggage comes flying from the back. It happened again like that when I cut down. I didn't know what to do with myself. It was so funny. And I was, I, I had lists and lists of, and lists of things that I've put off from my, from my life that I hadn't been able to do in this last, let's say, eight or ten years because I was working so much. See, I was working six days a week. I cut down to five. And I was so anxious. <laughs> and then I cut down to three, okay? This is what I really needed to do. That was, that was the solution, is to cut down to three and keep my pay grade so enough to, you know, I got to support myself. So anyway, and I've got like, I've got a couple side hustles now and I'm working three days a week. But that came, now I'm still having to stick up for myself. I'm still having to work through things. 
I have to make sure that the people that are taking over this work that I'm not doing actually take it over, and it's been a bumpy ride, I have to tell you. But you know what? I've been able to um, just keep on bringing it up, keep on turning things over. Um, when I, I still take things personally. I'm human. Um, and when I do that, I, you know, I feel it, and I put it in my 10 stuff for that night. And we talk, my sponsor and I talk about it when I call her. I call her once a week now. We talk about it, and we work it through. So, um, there was a lot of time today. I'm going to read, since we have the time, listen to this. I'll, I'll jump around, but listen to this reading. So, this is how, after this many years of abstinence and working the whole time, like, this, this program, to me, is my life. And... I work it like my hair's on fire still 20 years in. So this is what happens when I do this, and this is what gives me peace. You know, it talks about here, um, where should I start? God willing, we members of AA may never again have to deal with drinking, but we have to deal with sobriety every day. I call my abstinence and my food plan my sobriety. It's as important to me as... It's as clear and black and white as it is to an as the sobriety is to an alcoholic. Um, I never mess with my food. I never pick up stuff that I, I know is going to not be good for me. I don't do it. I'm afraid of it, and I'm doing great by doing it that way. Um, but we have to deal with sobriety every day. Every day, how do we do it? By learning through practicing the twelve steps and through sharing at meetings how to cope with the problems that looked that we looked to booze to solve back in our drinking days. So I let go of that food that was dulling. Every time I got anxious, I would eat, right? Now I can't do that. It doesn't work for me anymore because it stopped working. That's why I came here. If it was still working, I wouldn't have come here, I don't think. But it stopped working, and I came here. So how do... Um, by learning through practicing the 12 steps and through sharing at meetings how to cope with the problems that we looked to booze to solve or food to solve back in our eating days. For example, this is important, we're told in AA that we cannot afford resentments and self-pity. I am a ball of resentment and self-pity when I'm not treated, when I'm not working the program. I have self-pity every single day, right? My, the sisters of this guy, there's three kids in this family. The sisters were, I had a company Costco card. Okay, this just, ha I'm sorry, this just happened, okay? And I went to the Costco, I went to the gas, and my, my cards declined. The Costco card, not my credit card. And I, and I said, oh, i got to go into the store. It says, you have to go get activated. I thought one of them had asked me, do you still go for work to Costco? And I said, not as much, but I, I use it for personal, and not a lot, you know. So what happened was they decided this whole thing expired, and they just got their own. They got their own Costco cards. No, didn't think to tell me. And so then I drove to the Costco and went to the desk, and to activate my card, which was, of course, dead, okay, I talked to the lady. She goes, no, you were removed from the account, Okay, self-pity, did you hear that, what I just read, okay? This just happened last week. Oh, my God, was I mad. I'm like, ugh, really? You're going to 
And that's what happened. So I have to say, okay, back it up. What would, what am I supposed to do here? Love and tolerance is my code. Just take an action, right? I talked to my sponsor and then I talked to one of the sisters and she said, oh, sorry. I just opened my own account. You want me to put your on your, you want me to go on mine? And I said, no, it's the same money. I said, no, no, it's okay. But do you see, it, it doesn't take much. And that self, that, that's a character defect that is always going to be with me. But, you know, with the, with the program, that swings kind of toward the center most of the time. It can easily go back up to a 10, come right back down. But, but that's what happens. I mean, I have these things, fear of people, fear of economic insecurity, and self-pity, resentment. That's why I do a 10-step every night. I put it out. I take an action. I, if I have to make amends, I do, and rarely I do. I just have to get it out of my mouth, and it will resolve itself because I've done the six and seven many, many, many times. Um, okay. Cleaning out the garbage of our minds through the fourth and fifth steps. Today, my, pad, my, my tools I use is uh, I do a nightly ten step kind of long because I've added a bunch of stuff to it. Um, I've personalized it. I start out with the, in the big book, page 86, I think, um, asking those questions. But I've added using the tools of our program. And probably the tool I use, I use a lot of the tools, but I use a plan of action constantly now. That's, keep, that's what keeps me going, the plan of action. It keeps me going at work, and it keeps me going at home. I'm doing phenomenal things that I've put off for years at home, okay? I've put these things off for years. I've just not done them, personal things like estate planning and like a trust, and I didn't do them. I'm 66, and I don't have anything written down. So I'm doing it now because it's on that action plan. Um Let's see, we're taught to differentiate between our wants, which are never satisfied, and our needs, which are always provided for. That, I believe. We cast off the burdens of the past and the anxieties of the future as we begin to live in the present one day at a time. We are granted the serenity to accept the things we cannot change and thus lose our quickness to anger and our sensitivity to criticism. Oh, my God. Criticism kills me. It kills me. It does. And I work the program when, when somebody, when my ego shoots up because somebody says you did that wrong or whatever, I, write, I have to write, I have to write about that. I have to let that go because what happens is my ego gets bruised. And my ego, ego comes back, gets bruised, and I feel bad, right? So I can't eat anymore. I can't shove that feeling down with food. I have to work it, work through the steps on it. A lot of t it's very minor stuff, but it comes up every day, right? Because I have that addic addictive personality, and through through working the steps and getting really used to the swing of things, like working six, six and seven, I don't know how many times, identifying those character defects. Um, one of my big ones, one of my big ones was fear of abandonment. You see how that comes up from when I was a child, because I was literally neglected and left alone. So when something happens here now, when a friend's maybe, you know, friends go away, sometimes they do. 
um, either get mad and go away or they just go away. And it's not, you know, I have a reaction that it's not here, it's up here. That's my reaction, okay? That's what happened when I went through that breakup. I've been through that when I've lost um, friends for whatever reason. doesn't matter the reason, but I have an overreaction to a regular everyday thing. So food always would, would kind of chill that down a little bit. Didn't solve it. It made it worse. But it would chill that down, and I could get through the rest of the day. Can't do that anymore. So now I have to write about, thank you. Now I have to write about whatever it is. And I write, like I say, I do that 10 step every day. Um, and send it and talk to my sponsor or talk to whoever. I, I have people that I go to for different things, which works really well. Um, so just quickly, I'm going to wrap up. So if anybody has any questions, we can, we can go through those. But um, in the morning, I get up and I do uh, meditation books, like OA Voices of Recovery and other books. And then I do that. I do meditation in the morning. I write a letter to God. Okay, this is important for me because I write what comes out, what's in my head when I wake up and ask God to help guide my day and help me move through it with peace and serenity. That's a, that's a very simplified version. Usually I have all these things to write down in there, but I really just want help with my, from my higher power, which now I've developed into a close relationship. It was always there. How did I get from Buffalo out here? It wasn't me. Who would get in the car? I would stay, I would be dead. You know I'd be dead if I was still working in that diner. I was really good at cooking too, by the way. Um, I was. Uh, so that, you know, my life has been pushed along by something. But now I, call, I know that this higher power, in the big book I identified it in Bill's story as the father of light. That's, that's what, how I identify my higher power. And that is my guiding force today. And that keeps me sober, abstinent, and it keeps me walking forward in life and with a lot of joy. Thanks for letting me share. Could you start with questions? Questions? Um, Mary Pat? Hi, thank you so much. Oh. And when you, um, as a busy person, somebody mm. who was overworking, so, and, and, and working a program, how do you make time for writing on a regular basis? How did you get into that discipline? Um, you know, what, are you exhausted at night? And how do you deal with that? Or, you know, just, how did you do that? I'll tell you exactly. Um, I am a morning person. I'm sorry, yes, I will. Um, how did I get into this? Uh, my my habits, my um, patterns of program, and do the writing. How do how does all that happen? Um, with working six days a week, now I don't. But um, you know, with a busy life. Well, it, what happened was I was doing writing. I had to call my my first sponsor six a.m. What I had to do was I had to get up and do this writing because she's. I'm going to get on the phone with her, right? So. I had to back up my getting up time until I could finish everything by the time I called her. Because then I'd get shower dress and go to work. I still do that, but now I take sponsee calls too. So um, I had, I'm a morning person, so I do all of that in the morning. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, I may have every intention of doing it. I have every intention of doing it, and I don't get to it. 
So I do those things in the morning. The only thing I do at night is the nightly 10-step. I figure out my food for the next day, and I send my sponsor the 10-step and my food for the next day. So that's all I do at night. It's really all done in the morning. Yeah, sure. Yes? Um, you mentioned that something revealed through the work relationship with the challenging guy. Can you elaborate on that and the process of you trying to let it go, but staying on in, in more of a time frame? Sure. Um, how, what was revealed on staying at my job, working three days a week? What was revealed about my new boss and, and a new a whole new management company is really what happened. Um, well, you know, I had to be in, in very, very deep acceptance of this, of him, number one. And then, you know, the father died. The father was, got very sick and died. So now he's grieving as well, this, my, my boss. Everybody's grieving. I'm grieving. All the whole family's grieving. But really, at this point in time, what happens was I have to get in deep acceptance of how he is, I have to get an acceptance and stay in my business. All of that is not, did you get that? It's not my business. I'm trying to get in there and people please and do everything, and it's not my business. What, I, what has come through with that is that I'm a really, really, I'm really good at my job. I'm really good at my job. I've been at this job with this, since I moved out here, it's the same profession. But I've been with this family business for 24 years, okay? So I'm really good at it, and I have to keep telling myself that. Because what happens is, I have, when anybody's coming at me, and I think I can't finish my work, which I can't, by the way. I have to get an acceptance of I have too much work. That my self-esteem goes down, and now I'm going to start reacting. I'm going to react when my self-esteem is low. I'm going to throw that right back at them. It's your fault. I'm a victim. That's what my head says. So with working with my sponsor and a couple of other people, what I can say now is, gee, I, I work really hard. I, I, we're shifting work around. I do a really good job at what I do, and I have to be very good at prioritizing. That's the solution to this. I can't just keep wallowing in it. I have to be in a solution. I have to prioritize, and I have to... Let them, let these other people do this extra work. It's extra for me. It's actually what they should be doing. So I have to keep my boundaries. I have to keep boundaries. And that is so hard. <laughs> but that's what I have to do. I have to keep boundaries, stay in my own business, and keep... Remember that the love comes from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. Like, I can't look for, look for these things, look for acceptance from outside. It's got to come from me, inside, out. Then, I'm, then all's well. So, <clears throat> thanks. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you so much, Ali. Yeah. Um, you talked about fear of people as well as fellowship being a part of your um, experience mm -hmm. recovery. And I was wondering, could you talk more about... Um, your fellowship inside the rooms as well as as you recovered um, outside the rooms and has it evolved or has it stayed like uh, how you practice fellowship has it stayed the same 
Sure. Um, how do I? How do? How has my fellowship inside and outside of the rooms evolved? And how? As I, I know how it started. Is that I told you that. Um, you know what? I. That was God guiding me to the right group of people. That's what it was, and I was able to. And especially in this program, program, like I say, we were, we when I got back in and started working the steps, there was a whole bunch of us that were working, which is fantastic. Um, and we went to meetings together. You know, we used to go. There was a couple places in the valley that was. We'd go to the women's meeting in the morning on Sunday. Then we all go to lunch. Right there's like six of us, and we'd sit there for hours and drink. The free Diet Coke. <laughs> I had to let that. That's one thing I had to let go, by the way. Um, we, we would drink that and drink that Diet Coke and we'd talk. And I got to practice. It's me practicing. I'm, I'm a quiet one anyway, honestly. That's gotten better and better as, as I've been in program. But um, just got to sit and talk with people who are in the program. Like, we're all on the same path. So little by little, this it, with the steps, this heart started to crack open, and I started to let people in. That's part of the gift of the program. But it happened pretty organically. And then outside of the rooms, as I said, I have a side hustle now um, with a whole different group of people. I have to tell you, I, I stay, even on this other thing, I don't hang out with people who drink. Not really. I don't dr- hang out with people who do drugs. I don't do those things, and I'm abstinent. So I'm the happiest with people who are kind of moving through life like in a sober manner, let's say. Um, but I got this other thing going, and I can be just as happy and talkative and inclusive with my other thing, my hobby, as I am with people in program now because I've, over this 20 years, the comfort, my comfort coming from the inside out has gotten better and better and better. If I pick up, look at the doctor's opinion, if I pick up food, gone. That is gone. And I'm terrified of that. I like my life today the way it is, cracked open, laughing, and when I do have a problem, I have a solution. Then none of that happens if I'm eating. So it's by staying sober and with food in this program that the gift comes. How are we doing? Anybody else? Oh, yeah.